before we get stuck into the brand new episode of Alive Kicking, I'm delighted to announce a partnership with the amazing Footy Devotion. Footy Devotion have a brilliant range of t-shirts, coasters, prints and mugs, all illustrated by the amazing team at Footy Devotion and inspired by the 1990s as well, with a special range dedicated to Italian 90. And because you listen to Alive and Kicking, the original 1990s football podcast, you can get 10% off your order. Simply use the code AK90s at the checkout and you'll get 10% off. That's AK90s, so AK90S and 10% off your order. Jobs are good at. Check out Footy Devotion on Twitter at Footy Devotion and the whole range. I've got a few myself. I've got the brilliant 3pm sweatshirt. I'm looking at a brilliant QPR print kit I've got on my wall. And there's loads and loads to choose from, from World Cups to clubs and many, many more. So check out Footy Devotion. And as always, keep it 90s. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than watching Neighbours at 5.35 on BBC One. Yes, fun. It's almost over. My name's Ash Rose, your host and your guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. Uh, today we're going my 90s. We've got our red shirts on. We're heading north because we kind of talk about Liverpool in the 1990s. We've done a couple of these shows before. Uh, we did Man United with Sam Harwood. And we did Chelsea with Neil Bartlett. So go into the archive and listen to them. Uh, today we're doing Liverpool. Um, and we'll introduce our guest in just a second. But first, joining me as always here on Alive and Kicking is the landlord of the Football Tavern, Mr. Ed Chambers. Ed, how are you doing, sir? I am not too bad, thanks, Hash. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned neighbours there at the top. I was well, going to bring get that your in. Memories. Yeah, that's why I, did I was. I was going to bring that. I was going to bring that into the conversation right at the start because since we've been doing this podcast, I've noticed that I I think I noticed things more from the nineties. You know, during my day, and I picked up and I saw the news the other week that neighbours was, you know, is was not going to be around for much longer. And I thought, you can't leave the younger generation with anything, can you? You know, all those hours that we put in during the 90s, you know, half one, half five, and it's all gone. It's all gone. Those storylines. Favourite storyline from Neighbours? We'll ask our guest in a minute as well. Favourite storyline? Yeah, from the 90s. Uh, Put you on the spot now, aren't I? Oh, God, yeah. Well, I did put up one on the Football Tavern the other week when uh, Debbie and Rick came to London. (laughs) <laughs> Debbie and Rick came to London and they had their they had their camera stolen in the middle of Trafalgar Square and they ended up kinda, at Highbury. Kind of remember Highbury. that. Yeah, yeah. I kind of remember right. that vaguely. So I think, but I actually think the cab ride from Trafalgar Square to Highbury probably cost more than the camera. <laughs> yeah. So, we'll do now. Um, so yeah. So yeah, there was that one. And then of course uh Carl Kennedy cheated on Susan, really. It was probably How another dairy. one. I know it's disgusting. Yeah. I always remember them just being all over each other and just didn't realize that people of that age when I was watching it were still at it. It's just like you yeah. just refreshing <laughs> to see, actually. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what's yeah. getting bringing our guest? Um, yeah. I say guest, he's been on the show a number of times. He's somebody he probably 
There's not many people that shares the love for the 90s as much as me and Ed, uh, but this guy is definitely one. He is a podcaster of his own, right? Check out the fans podcast. It's a brilliant, brilliant listen. Um, Edgar at The Guardian as well. Author, many plethora of things. Sashin Nakrani, welcome back to Alive and Kicking, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. Um, it's interesting talking about Neighbours there because I've literally come off the back of watching two episodes. Um, I actually genuinely, I, I like you guys, I love Neighbours back in the day. Yeah. I genuinely still watch it now. Uh, so when, when the pandemic hit, two, well, almost exactly, wasn't it, two years yeah. ago, uh, obviously everyone's trapped inside and uh, me and the family suddenly having spent a lot of time together. One of the things we did as a family, the three of us, me, my wife and my daughter, is start watching Neighbours in the afternoon again. Brilliant got back into it and continued it so my daughter sort of drifted away a little bit she's lost interest but me and my wife still watch it regularly so I've, yeah, <laughs> really? there's been a big fire at Erin's behind somebody nearly died oh. uh, a girl's getting um do you remember do you remember amy and lance from the 90s oh lance yeah. definitely yeah. yeah yeah so amy uh is now back in neighbors her and right. toady are like best mates which is lovely yeah. and her daughter uh, Zara has been accused of uh, starting a fire, but she didn't. But she's she's a bit of a wrong un, but she did oh, not right. start this fire. So that's the current storyline. So yeah, I, I absolutely love Neighbours. I still do. And I'm gutted it's going. In what the funny, the funny thing is about Neighbours because obviously I realised that we're here to talk about Liverpool, but we can probably do a podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Just we can do it. Just, we just carry on with Neighbours. Just just quickly. So we, um, the wife and I went back. To, uh, we went to uh, Melbourne a few years ago. And um, you had to do it. If you're going to go all that way, yeah. you're going to do you're going to do the tour Ramsey Street, right? You've got to do it. So I haven't watched Neighbours since about 2001, and that's not an exaggeration. So you do the tour, and then they take you round to the studios, and they say, if you just wait here, um, you know there'll be a, a character, you know, from the show who'll come round and meet you. Oh wow! And um, the the tour guide who happened, just happened to be English, I think she was doing her dream job, to be honest. <laughs> and she was she was she was saying, oh, the other day we had Lou, you know, Lou Carpenter. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, no, really. I mean, I mean, you know, I remember Lou. Yeah, you know, everybody remembers Lou. And then basically, this young lad come round the corner, and he was, you know, sort of model esque looking. Yeah. And like some of the women, I think, were like, oh yeah, it's. And I didn't have a clue. Who he was. No, how disappointing. I know. And um, to you were hoping day, it was Annalise. I was going to say, oh, please be Annalise. Please be Annalise. I really was hoping. I didn't even know if she was still in Neighbours or not. It doesn't Kimberly matter. Davis wasn't her name, I think. I oh, was look at you, now. knowing the name. Oh, everything. Yeah. Danny yeah. Stark was another name, yeah. a, a character name who I used to have a thing for as well as, as a oh, growing yeah. up. And, that... um, yeah, and D D as well, I think, was another Kimberly one I liked. Well, obviously... Um, yeah. We're turning into a bit of a lads now, but yeah. Um, yeah. What's her face? <laughs> Torn. Who sang Natalie and Brudier? Obviously, she was yeah. another one. yeah. Um, back from my home. But I think Hannah, you talk about Debbie there, Hannah Martin. I saw her the other day on Twitter. I think she's like a reporter in Germany now. Really? Which is That's... really random. That is a bit, that is a bit mm. random. Yeah. Anyway, let's stop talking about neighbours because we literally could be here all day. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, why we're here. We're talking about Liverpool. It's a subject we've, obviously, we've done 150 odd episodes of this. We've talked about them at great length, but we're focusing on them today in my 90s which is kind of the thing we've done before as i said where we just pick a bits and bobs and eventually pick an 11 of uh the decade as well we always get a big fan on and sash you obviously are a massive liverpool one fan for anyone who follows you on twitter you're regularly at anfield as well you're a fan that actually goes to games as well yeah. a liverpool fan that actually goes to games before we get into our little kind of quiz that we've given you already why liverpool where did it stem from for you where did the love affair with with liverpool begin for you yeah, well, there's kind of two parts to this. So the, the the way it came about originally, it might be a slight false memory, but when I grew up, I actually hated football. 
for a good few years. And the reason that what happened is I've got a cousin who's three years older than me who lives where, where I used to live in North London, lived literally two, two streets down. And I used to go to his house a lot, you know, especially during the summer holidays and stuff. And he's an Arsenal fan. He's a big Arsenal fan. And every time I used to go to his house, he used to make me play football, like in the garden or just in the house, you know, kicking the ball about. And when someone makes you do something, you hate it, don't you? Yeah, so yeah, fair days. I, I grew to absolutely hate football. I really did. I disliked it. And as a kid at school, at primary school, when all my mates in my class were playing football, I would sort of hang around with the two lads who didn't like football and we'd we'd sit and talk about He-Man and Thundercats neighbors, and stuff like that. Neighbours, yeah. And they, yeah, I don't know, yeah, maybe we talk about <laughs> neighbours, but certainly He-Man and Thundercats was, so I was a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a loan, a bit of a geek and very anti-football. And then I said, this is where it's a potential false memory, but the mates who played football would always try and get me to play football. And I, I was going, no, I don't want to play, I don't want to play. You know, there's sort of lunchtime kick yeah, about. Yeah. And then there was one, there was one lunchtime where I sort of gave in and said, all right, I'll play, I'll have a kick about. So, um, I played and as I said, this is, this is almost anything happened, but I'm sure it did happen. And I hope it did actually happen is that I scored twice in a little two all game. So I scored both of my team's goals and just fell in love with football. Cause you know, I was the hero of the team. Yeah. I got two goals. And, what uh, debut. You know, yeah, exactly. And the joy of sort of scoring and all that stuff. And then immediately sort of fell in love with it and asking kids in my class, you know, f- discovering they all had teams and asking who I should support. And they all support sort of Spurs and, you know, uh, Man United and Arsenal, those sorts of things. And one kid said, you support who your dad supports. So I right. went home and said to my dad, who do you support? And he said, Liverpool. And that was it. I just supported Liverpool. And for, you know, a good few years, I just watched them on telly. And then when I got to sort of high school age, I wanted to go see and play. And I said to my dad, we take me to Anfield. And he was like, no chance. And we lived in Wembley, North London. It's like, you know, 200 odd miles. So he wouldn't take me. And it was actually, uh, we might come to this in a bit. It was my uncle who took me to my first game. Anyway, so that's one bit of the story. So to fast forward, I went years without actually asking my dad why he supported Liverpool. There's, 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 there's always a thing with immigrant families. My dad, um, is, um, he moved to his country in the 70s. He's Indian, but he was born in Kenya. Uh, and so he's part of the Asian community there and, and immigrated to this country in the 70s. And there's always a lot, uh, there's a thing with immigrant families that they support teams that are successful because when you live abroad, the only teams you kind of know about are the good ones. Yeah. Like they're the ones who kind of cross borders and, and cross seas and rivers and oceans. So he support. So that's, I kind of thought that was probably the case, but I never really drilled down into it. And so what happened was in 2014, I was writing a book, a Liverpool related book. And as part of that, I wanted to ask my dad why I support Liverpool. So I called him one day and said, why, why do you actually support Liverpool? And he told me the story, which was, so he grew up in Mombasa in Kenya and he was a mechanic and uh, near where he was a mechanic, the garage he worked, there was like a sort of, there was, a, there was an amateur league there. I don't exactly know the details of it, but there were sort of amateur teams. And the team that played closest to his garage used to wear red. Right. And called themselves Liverpool. And he sort of had a soft spot for them. I think he knew a couple of players. It was, it's a pretty tin pot league from what I could tell. He'd go watch them after work or whatever. And, you know, and he so he supported them. And then when he came to his country in the 70s, he discovered, oh, they're named after an English team called Liverpool. And right. so he became a fan of them and then I was born in 1981 and I got into football in the late very very late 80s and I adopted it so essentially a long way around I support Liverpool because my dad does he supports them because he used to watch an amateur team when he was a mechanic in in Kenya so it's a nice yeah. story I like that Isn't it? yeah Isn't it? it's yeah. different I like, it's like, yeah, I like that it follows the family thing which I do obviously as well my dad is is a QPR fan which is why I'm a QPR fan as well but yeah I mean with the bigger clubs like the Man United and Liverpool's and people that obviously like yourself are from London, there's always that 
question I get, I suppose, get, gets thrown at you, like, why yeah. are you Liverpool? But that is a, is a very nice. And I remember when I was on your show and we talked about obviously QPR and my growing up, but our first game, Sash, are quite near each other, almost the same season, wasn't it? I believe. I think, yeah, yeah, I think they are. They're, they're literally, so mine was the 13th, Sunday, 13th of December, 1992. Liverpool, yes. Blackburn won at Anfield. It was a very notable game. It was Kenny Dalglish's first game back at, uh, back at Anfield. He'd resigned as manager obviously, the year mm. before and he came back with Blackburn. So it was quite remarkable. My uncle, my, my uncle took me and his son, my cousin, to the game. I quite, it was kind of remarkable in the way he got tickets for the game, really, given it's Kenny, you know, Kenny Douglas. Yeah. But he got them from a friend at work, I think. So, um, yeah. So as I said, we make we're probably going to come on to this in a bit because it's one of my category answers. So, um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, that was my first. And you're, yeah, I remember yours when you came on. I think it's like a week, well, two weeks later, because mine's yeah. the twenty eighth of December, yeah, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. So that Everton game wasn't it? The remarkable. Yeah. Five, Andy, four, something. Uh, 4-2, Andy Sinton, four, two, yeah. two players sent off. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, classic. I thought it'd always be the same, but you know, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, but we did beat Luton on Sunday, so I'm still smarting after that. Um, Ed, before we get into Sash meat of the sandwich, Liverpool, when I say yeah. to you, and this is very loaded and very detailed, so yeah. I, won't, I don't expect a, a monologue here, but when you think Liverpool in the 90s, obviously ever-changing, but what's your first thought when I say Liverpool in the 90s? Well, I've now changed my first thought about Liverpool in the 90s, that Sachin's two goals and his debut reminds me very much of Nigel Clough in the... Uh, <laughs> oh, lovely, <laughs> lovely reference. Uh, yeah. Segway there, lovely. Um, what do I think about Liverpool in the 1990s? Um, probably a decade of real change, mm-hmm. given the fact that the 70s and 80s were heavily loaded with league titles and trophies galore. And then for reasons that we'll probably come on to in a bit when we talk to Sasha, is that it then dips. It really does dip in the 90s. Um, and, we'll, you know, I say we'll, we'll touch upon that. But what sort of struck me was that Liverpool were in the top two for many years through the 80s. And then the 90s hit. Arsenal win the league in 91. And then Liverpool are not second for quite a long period of, of time. Now, if somebody would have told you in the summer of 1990 that Liverpool were going to go 30 years without winning a league title, they'd have thought you were off, you know, they thought you were off your rocker, basically. Yeah. Um, and it just, I'm interested as well to get Sasha's thoughts, but I'm just interested that how, how did it go from being top dog to being very much in Man United's shadow and as much hated as that probably is for a Liverpool fan? Um, so when I think about Liverpool in the 90s, I just think about that decline, really. And then the sort of rise, because the start of the next decade, of course, is when Liverpool win a, a treble. Now, some Man United fans might say it's not the same treble, but, it, you know, it is it is a treble. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of like it was, a, it was a dip and then sort of back up again. And then, of course, obviously, four years after that, they, they win the Champions League. So um, so it's interesting to, to see what happened in the 90s to sort of spark spark that and it was kind of segue between between one and the other I suppose that's the way I look at Liverpool in the 90s Sash what what do you make of that point because I was going to ask you kind of that question as well is because like I suppose Man United kind of going through that not completely for the same reasons but now in the modern era where you know they don't look like winning the league for a while whereas Mm. you kind of had that in the 90s but I suppose I don't know if you remember as much of the 80s because of at your age. So where where does that fall? Because do you remember them being successful or are you very much my your first memories being that they were kind of a club that were almost there, but not quite? 
Yeah, well, my my first real strong memory of watching Liverpool, and this might explain why I'm even now when we're brilliant, I'm still extremely pessimistic about about everything. Is was that infamous Michael Thomas game in 1989, the two 0 yeah. defeat to Arsenal? That's the first real memory I have, which was obviously a devastating loss for Liverpool. So I think it's sort of it's tainted how I, I watch Liverpool generally. Even when we're great, I'm like, oh, I think we're going to lose today. Yeah. yeah. Now it's interesting. It is. A, it's a really kind of complex, interesting, tumultuous decade for Liverpool. I mean, on a basic level. If you said there's a club who in, in a decade had a load of top four finishes, they won two trophies, they got to a European semi-final, they played what most people consider to be the, uh, took part in the most exciting game of the decade, had loads of great players, some of whom came through the sort of the youth, you know, youth, youth system as well, homegrown players as well. You go, well, that, that sounds like a pretty good decade. Yeah. You, must have, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a great decade for a club. The yeah. problem is, as, as Ed's touched on, is, it was rolling off the back of the 70s and 80s where Liverpool were an all-conquering, all-dominant side. And the 90s, what happened is what happens to most big clubs, it's happening to United now, is when you've had an era of success, there's going to be, when you reach an almighty high, it's almost certain you're going to, have a, you're going to drop quite dramatically. It's impossible to just keep being great. And the problem yeah. is when the drop comes, it's pretty severe. The fundamental problem for Liverpool were the early years in the 90s. So Kenny, Kenny Douglas resigned out of nowhere in 1991. Uh, in April 1991, Graham Souness became manager. And on the face of it, that is a great appointment. Yeah. He's a you know, legendary former player. Doing legendary. well at Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. He won three league titles at, at Rangers. Um, and it was just absolutely perfect. And But the problem that happened when Souness came in is he tried to change too much too quickly. So Liverpool had an ageing squad. They need That squad needed to be changed and refreshed but it needs to be done gradually and the problem is soon as instead of sort of taking a scalpel to it just took an axe and just got rid of so many uh, players who'd been mm. established members of that team in the 80s the likes of um steve mcmahon uh, ray howton um, um yeah, yeah. and well, that's gonna come to be yeah, yeah, yeah. steve Staunton left yeah. um and yeah peter beardsley was the most shocking <laughs> one because i mean he was still brilliant for newcastle five or six years later so that was a really scandalous one um he tried to change um the sort of the, the way Liverpool trained and the way they looked after themselves. I mean, you tried to get rid of sort of them having sort of beer and fish and chips on the coach back from away games, which all the players kind of railed against. Cause as they pointed out to Sunes, like literally five years ago, you were having beer and fish yeah. and chips with us on his coach. So he had that lack of authority in a way as well. Cause some of the t- players he was trying to sort of exert control over were his mates, you know, Ian Rush, John Barnes, people he literally played with. Actually didn't play with John Barnes, but Ian Rush, Steve Nichol and a few others. So he had, he had this sort of twin problem that he, he tried to do too much too quickly. He tried to do the right thing, but he did it too quickly. And in terms of actually exerting his control, he just kept coming up against kind of roadblocks because the play, he created a really sort of bad atmosphere within the squad because they were like, you're a bit of a hypocrite, mate, because you were literally doing this with us five, six years ago. So I think the soon S years completely destabilised Liverpool, although I think they would have gone through a painful period, whoever was manager, because that's just what happens when you reach the end of a road as a sort of an empire, football empire, and you need to refresh your squad it's just painful and it's just difficult and so I think that would have happened anyway but for Liverpool there was a real sort of dramatic drop off I mean as Ed said they finished didn't finish second they finished second in 1991 which but that was mm-hmm. essentially yeah. Kenny Douglas's season and then after that there wasn't a single second place finish in, in the 90s they didn't win the league obviously and in soon as kind of two full seasons uh, three seasons I should say they finished sixth sixth and eighth yeah um, again eighth yeah I've got them all down here so sixth and eighth and then after that when Roy Evans and then eventually yeah. Joe Hule it was, it was fourth third fourth third and then seventh yeah. when yeah we might come on this later but under Evans it did actually improve drastically yeah. Liverpool actually had a couple of really good points they got 70 points twice in 95 and 96 which 
you know, in those in that sort of era, could have won you the league, but they just came up against a really good sort of Man United side. But yeah, we might come on to the, sort of maybe the Evans years later. But under Sunes, it was doing too much too soon. It was not having that control and also just making some god awful signings. I mean, the likes of Julian Dix and Neil Ruddock. I mean, he was, yeah. I mean, I think because of my era of growing up in the nineties, like I remember those so vividly being one quite excited that Liverpool were signing. I don't know, a different type of player, but also baffled of the likes of Julian <laughs> Dix, Neil yeah. Ruddock were coming to Mike Marsh or someone, yeah. you know, I hadn't really, really heard of Mike Marsh. And well, Mike he... Marsh went the other way. Mike Marsh was a good player. He was a Liverpool player when Sunes took over. He was a he was a youth product. He was quite good, not great. He was never going to be sort of a legend or anything, but he was decent. And Marsh went as part of the swap deal that saw Dix come from West Ham to Liverpool. <laughs> yes, he did. Basically, yeah. Sunes was trying to sign players in, in, his, um, in his own image. You know, hard men who thought yeah. they were a real edge. But the problem is they weren't very good. I mean, Ruddick was sort of okay, but Dix was absolutely terrible. He was an awful trainer as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he used to clash with Ronnie Moran, uh, sort of one of the sort Moran. Of legendary coaches all the time. But saying that, he also signed Rob Jones, who's one of my all-time yeah. favourite Liverpool players. He was a snip at £300,000 and would have been, I think, England's right back yeah. in the 90s. Most of the 90s, haven't got sort of really bad injuries. Also signed Michael Thomas, which was quite a shrewd signing. Brought through Steve McManaman and Robbie Fowler and Jamie Redknapp as well. So he did a lot. He did some good things as well. But ultimately, it was too much too. So he changed, tried to change too much too soon and completely and utterly destabilised and kind of wrecked that squad that had done so much in the in, you know certainly in the eighties. Did he sign Torben Peaknik? Yeah, he signed. So he signed Peaknik. He signed Cosma. He signed Cosma, Paul Stewart, yeah. who, most, who most Liverpool fans Paul Stewart, yeah, the worst signing in Liverpool's history. He, his signings were were yeah. broadly absolutely awful. Peaknik's always the one, isn't, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't there a story? Isn't there a story as well that he was offered Cantona at one stage? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he, he, the infamous the story was that we were playing Auxerre in the UEFA Cup in '92, I think it was, yeah. and. Michel Platini came to the game. I mean, I don't know if his dates add up because he was at Leeds at that stage. Anyway, the story is generally there was a game and Michel Platini came to Anfield and obviously knew Sunes. They played against each other in Italy and stuff and said, oh, there's this guy in France who he's having a really sort of difficult time over there, but he's a brilliant player. If someone can get hold of him, he could be great. And Sunes said, look, I just can't take any sort of troublesome players. It's all a bit difficult. It's all a bit, I'm having real problems. I can't take anyone who's a bit of a risk. And that player apparently was Eric Cantona. But the thing mm. is, if he'd come to us, we would have ruined him anyway. So I don't, <laughs> I don't think that would have made a much difference. Right. Well, let's get to your first category then, because we're, you know, let's get cracking with these. You're, I mean, I found this when I was looking at players in, in, I, is there a standout candidate? There probably is a standout candidate, but I'd be interested to say who it is. Um, Sachin, who is the player of the 90s for Liverpool for you then? Yeah. Well, it's Robbie Fowler. Yeah. Um, as I was now, saying that, I was like, it's probably Fowler, actually. Yeah. It's probably, <laughs> I mean, I want to give a special mention. Basically, to, what, what I should say is there really isn't many candidates. Um, yeah. There are, I mean, Liverpool was sort of, as I said earlier, that Liverpool were sort of okay in the 90s. They, you know, they, they won a couple of trophies, got to European semi final, uh, got some decent points totals. Uh, they weren't, you know, they, in relative, I mean, in relative terms, they were a good side. It was obviously just the comparative element of how good they had been in the 70s and 80s. But saying that, we just didn't have that many great players. Mm. And really, there are two... Sta- if, you, if you're talking about who, who's the best players, there are two standouts. So I'll come on to Fowler in a second. I mean, 
I do want to give Stephen Manneman a mention because yeah. he, in a way, in purely kind of factual terms, is really Liverpool's player in the 90s. He played essentially the entire decade. Uh, he joined the club at 14, made his debut in 1990, played until 1999, so essentially the entire decade. 364 appearances, scored 66 goals. He was a man of the match in the two cup finals we won, which is a 92 FA Cup final and a 1995 Coca-Cola Cup final. Um, but... Liverpool fans have a weird relationship, I think, with McManaman Man- Broadley. There's not a lot of love for him. I think part, I think largely that is because of the way he left. He left. I think yeah. he, I think he was the first was ever the big, player. Pro, well, at least high profile, wasn't it? Yeah, Bosman. Yeah, yeah. He was the first, I think he was the first Bosman to leave England. As you know, certainly the most high, high profile when he went to Real Madrid. So yeah. that left a bit of a sour taste. So we didn't get any money for him, and that he left. Um, I think also just as a player, he always seemed someone who was a bit nonchalant, didn't really mm. kind of care that much. Although I think that's really harsh on him. And anyone who's played and and worked with him and said, you know, there wasn't a harder, more dedicated trainer. He gave everything. He just had that sort of look about him. So I do want to give him, a, I do want to give him a strong mention, but for me, there's just no doubt. It's Robbie Fowler. Um, he was just, I mean, his nickname was God. He was just the most kind of thrilling and exciting player to, to, to see at Liverpool. Now. In, as I said, in which was a pretty difficult era to see him emerge in, in 94 this teenager had come through the youth system and he just basically seemed to score every single game I and mean, he scored in his first game for Liverpool which is a 3-1 League Cup victory over Fulham in September 93 and then it was a two-legged League Cup tie and he scored five in the yes. second leg at Anfield yeah. I've tweeted only, that before yeah yeah only fifth player in Liverpool's history to achieve that he got oh, uh, the, the four-minute hat-trick four-minute 33 second hat-trick mm. against Arsenal in August 94 183 goals in 369 games across two spells. He was just, he was just goals, goals, goals. But it was also his attitude. Um, I think if you're a teenager like I was in the 90s, you know, most Liverpool players look like men to you. you know, especially at Liverpool, they all had tashes. Yeah. They didn't all have tashes, but a few of them had moustaches. Um, but they looked like men. You know, they wore Old Spice. They drove sensible cars, you know, all that stuff. Fowler looked like a kid. He looked like someone who could be your mate. You could have a kickabout with him. You could play Sega Mega Drive with him. He just had that sort of roguish quality. He was a bit of a lad. He looked like a lad. If you read his autobiography, he talks about having sort of fish and chips after matches and stuff like that. And he was just, you know, we had the Dockers T-shirt as well. So he had that sort of rebellious streak to him as well. And just, he just scored goals. There's nothing more exciting. All kinds of goals scored. as well. Yeah. That's what I always think. Like all kinds of different goals. Like, yeah, he wasn't two-footed and everything. You couldn't yeah. pigeonhole Fowler when you say what sort of striker was he? Because I can't really... He wasn't a box, he wasn't like a you know a six yard box striker. He wasn't someone who, who hanged back slightly as Teddy Sheringham style. I think he could pretty much do it all, couldn't he? Yeah, I mean, and what's crazy was he wasn't particularly quick. No, he wasn't, he wasn't big. He wasn't great. He wasn't particularly in the strong. No, yeah, but he just, as he said, he could not just score tons of goals. He could score every type of goal. I mean, you know, those there's that game against United in um, mm. I think it was October 1996, Man United away at Old Trafford when it was Cantona's first yes. game back after his yeah. ban. And he obviously got the headlines because it was his first game back. He got the equaliser after we'd gone 2-1 up. You know, just watch Fowler's two goals in that game. They're absolutely Amazing. extraordinary. The first one where he, where he um, smashes it at that near post and Schmeichel probably should have, you know, his positioning wasn't great, but still a great finish. And then the second one where he sort of bullies Gary Neville off the ball and chips it over Schmeichel. Um, he just, as you say, Ash, just a range of goals as well as tons of them. And yeah, I just absolutely adored him. Um, just, the, the one yeah. I always remember, and it comes up on Twitter every time it's the anniversary, I think friend of the show, Sid Lambert, is a lover of it. I think it's against Brian in the yeah. one of the European yeah. competitions. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. never seen anyone do what it's like. I always yeah. say that about Dennis Burkamp. He did things on a football pitch I don't think I've en- ever seen any other footballer do. And that's that kind of goal, that yeah. flick that he just flicks yeah. over and then smashes the hell out of the ball. Into, I know it's a. Yeah, Given the opposition, you know, Norwegian team, I get it. But 
that skill is amazing. Um, Ed, coming to you, mate. I mean, what do you when I say Robbie Fowler? I mean, what goals come to your mind? Uh, well, first of all, that one uh, yeah. because that is an absolutely extraordinary goal. I think the other one is the one against Aston Villa, the one where yes. he uh, twists uh, Steve Staunton and then I think he pings it in the left-hand corner. Uh, it is absolutely extraordinary goal. Um, Stachy covered the two uh, against Liverpool as well um, against Man United, United. Sorry, and um, I think there was a I think there was another free kick actually in that same season against United at Anfield, yeah. where he kind of sort of nonchalantly pings it in past Peter Michael as if, you know, he's just sort of, you know, just taking the bins out really and just thought, I'll oh, just kick this football, football past Peter Michael. But he's just, um, he's a, he was a sensational forward. I think you've covered it, Ash, by saying that you couldn't really say what his, what actual type of striker mm-hmm. he was. He wasn't the Gary Lineker six-yard box. He wasn't a Teddy Sheringham type. Alan Shearer-esque, possibly, scoring all types of goals, yeah. maybe. Um, but, I mean... In this day and age now, Robbie Fowler would have a hundred England caps without doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's part. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys have spoken about it a million times in, in various guises. But yeah, he was unlucky. Really, he was part of that spell in the nineties yeah. where England had about seven hundred and twelve amazing strikers. <laughs> yeah. so he got yeah. about eight caps. He probably got more than that. I don't know. But he, yeah, as you say, now he would be. I mean, absolute. Yeah, you know, he'd be England. He'd be a regular for England. He'd be one of the most. Someone asked me the other day about Les Ferdinand and how good he was. And I, yeah. I just couldn't put it into words. And it's not just being biased as a, as a QPR fan, because he arguably had his best season at Newcastle as well. But it's, it's the same. For Fowler's the same. It's like you're, we were so spoilt with these players that Harry Kane possibly aside, there is nobody else who under him, who was like the players that were pretty much under Alan Shearer, given the same mm. comparison of that era. It's, uh, it, it's definitely crazy. I always remember him Fowler re-signed for Liverpool. I can't remember the year. Obviously, we're talking in the next decade now. January 2006, I remember. There you go. <laughs> I thought you'd know. Yeah. Like, I, was, I had a very 90s experience. Well, it wasn't 90s, it was mid-noughties. But I was walking home from work and I got a text message from a friend. There was no social media at this time saying, God has returned. And I had absolutely no idea what he was. I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Anyway, I got home. I put CFAX on. Yes. Uh, my quick, my, my regular sort of CFAX check after getting home. And it said, Robbie Fowler's, you know, rejoins Liverpool. And it was genuinely one of the happiest moments of my life. I it remember driving home amazing. from work work and I literally stopped my car I was driving home and I stopped the car to listen to the radio and I, I've got no affinity to Liverpool and he was just like I was just so shocked that I was like Fowler because yeah. it just didn't I mean with social media now we'd probably have got wind of that like two yeah. weeks in advance which is you know let's put our old, old boy hat on it's not like the old days and all that but it's yeah it was it was definitely shocking but yeah Fowler no surprise there I'm, I'm quite interested with this one though Sash is does Fowler figure in goal if we're talking your favorite goal yeah Liverpool well, goal it, in the 90s yeah. is it a Fowler one it is. Ed's mentioned it. it's the one against Villa in, ah. uh, in March 1996. Yeah, it's just one of my favourite goals. So anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, so we beat Aston with a 3-0 in yeah, March 1996. Just a regular uh, reg, you know, regular sort of league, league game. Don't think it, it didn't lead to anything. We didn't win the league or anything like that. But it was made memorable for this goal. So uh, Liverpool were two up in five minutes. This was the goal that put them 2-0 up. And it has just become an iconic Robbie Fowler goal. So Steve McManaman's got the ball sort of centre of the pitch. Uh, plays it into foul. He's up against, I think, Steve Staunton. He's got his back to him. He flicks it round Staunton so that he's uh, now sort of away from him and he's got it on his left foot. And almost in the same movement, he just lashes his shot, which sort mm. of spends away from Mark Bosnich and Moves, into, the, it? Yeah. into the corner. And it's just an absolutely thrilling goal. And I, I think the reason I love I mean, aesthetically, it's a great goal. But I think I also love it because it sums up that team, that I mean, that is one of my all-time favourite Liverpool teams, the 95-96 team. That's the team that played Newcastle in that 4-3 game. 
that had the big fat white collar, Stan Collymore, McManaman, Fowler, that team. They were hugely flawed defensively, but they were just so thrilling going forward. And that sort of game encapsulated them. You know, they blew Villa away. I said 2-0 up in five minutes, won the game 3-0. So he summed up that team, which I love. He had, and in that kit, which I absolutely adore, we might be coming on to that as well. <laughs> oh, we'll and, talk that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it also just summed up foul, as you say, because yeah. it was just that swagger. He had that, he was so creative with the way, as we already touched on, you didn't have that sort of one type of goal. You could score all sorts of goals. And he was just so creative and imaginative with the way he scored goals. And that summed it up, you know, to flick it around Storms. Back to, back, Storms got him sort of, you know, his back's up against Storton. How do you get around him? Well, I'll just touch it to the side swerve around him, leave him for dead, leave him looking stupid and then just lash this past the goalkeeper from outside the box. He then, it's a cop end as well, which is obviously great. Mm. And then he sort of jumps in, he runs towards a cop and sort of jumps in it a little bit as well. So every element of it is just, it's just glorious. It is, is a great, great goal. I'm just try, I was thinking to myself there, what goals stand out for me from the area? And the two that have come to mind, they're literally at opposite ends of the decade as well, which is quite nice, is the John Barnes goal in the 4-4 uh, against Everton, of which he oh, does yeah. in the top yeah. court, which was, was a yeah. John Barnes special yes. pretty much. Like I think he did that three or four times, like yeah. right to the almost corner of the box and then aimed it right into that. Perfect for the camera behind the goal that you'd see on yeah. like the beginning of grandstand or something when the music hits. It was perfect for that kind of goal. And at the other end of the decade, and Ed will know this, and Sash, you've seen in the past, I'm a, I was a big Michael Owen fan and, yeah. and back in the day. And I remember the goal when he, the first, I think it's the first game back after the 98 World Cup, Newcastle away, he's got a hat trick, yeah. didn't he? I yeah. think, I don't know, I can't remember what which number of the goal it was. It's the rubbing hands goal, basically. Yeah, yeah. I but it just showed first, Owen at yeah. his best. Like he just galloped away from the Newcastle defence yeah. and then almost nonchalantly poked it, I think, in, into yeah. the top corner. And I just that was just Owen in a capsule at that time when he was already at his peak, sadly, because it was pretty much a demise after it going into the next decade. Mm. But those two goals stand out to me. Ed, have you got any Liverpool goals that are going through your head at the moment? Uh, well, actually, what I was going to come come back to the point about um, John Barnes's goal, actually, because mm-hmm. if you remember, obviously, we had Pat Nevin on before yeah, Christmas. Yeah. And we would, obviously, we started this by talking about sort of how Liverpool changed in the 1990s. And when we interviewed Pat, Pat said that um, one thing that they could hear from the Liverpool dressing room after that 4-4 game was shouting, like really big arguments coming from the Liverpool dressing room. And he said, you never heard that off Liverpool. He said, they just turned up, mm, played did, the yeah. game, often beat you and went home again. Um, so there was obviously a bit of a, a, a you know, a, a change there. Um, in Just to say of, as well, that was Kenny Douglas' last game. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, yeah. And what a game it was. And that, um, as you're right to call out that John Barnes goal, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, I've already started by um, talking about uh, Sashin's great debut with uh, Nigel Clough, but I think Stan Collymore's debut goal really stands Sheffield out Sheffield Wednesday, to me. yeah. Um, against Sheffield Wednesday, where I think um, it does some sort of, I think it's like a pirouette, I think is the mm. official term, and um, <laughs> sticks it sort of sticks it in with his, with his left foot. Stan was a great player. Stan was a great player. And whether he fitted in at Liverpool or not, I don't, I don't know. But it didn't, he didn't quite hit the height that he hit with Nottingham Forest the season before. But Stan was a really, really good footballer. I mean, Sassin, you've probably seen him a lot closer. Yeah, I, I, I was but... I was incredibly excited when we signed him. We signed yeah. him in the summer of 95. I yeah. thought we'd... I mean, the, the season before, the 94-95 season at Forest, I, he was just unbelievable. Oh, he was, yeah. yeah. He was and unplayable. I, yeah, and I just thought we'd sign the best player in the country, the best, mm. the best striker in the country. Him and Fowler was just going to take us to the title. And actually, yeah. he was pretty good for us. He, played, you know, he spent two years at Liverpool. I don't know what his overall goal return is, but it was good. It was solid. 
Uh, so he wasn't a flop by any means. He scored a lot of goals, scored obviously iconic goals in Newcastle. One, he scored on his debut, assisted quite a lot of goals as well. Uh, was actually quite unselfish, you know, set up Fowler quite a lot. He just fell out with Roy Evans. There was various issues. He wouldn't move to uh, Merseyside. He was travelling from Cannock all the time. It was late for training. Just had issues and obviously went to Aston Villa in 97. But he mm. was a good player for us. And it's just such a shame because I remember I had a friend who was an Arsenal fan in the summer of 95 when we both... We live nearby and we used to meet up quite a lot in, during that summer and uh, debate uh, who was a bet, who's going to be better, Dennis Burkamp or Collymore. And I was genuinely adamant Collymore would be better for Liverpool than Dennis Burkamp would be for Arsenal. <laughs> obviously, ultimately, looks well and truly stupid in that claim. But at that time, it wasn't a mad shout because obviously Burkamp, um, you know, had struggled a bit into Milan mm-hmm. and, and Collymore just looked like the next big thing, I think, yeah. in football, didn't he? And he was just, unstoppable. Yeah. McManaman, yeah. yeah. great turn, fast Thornton. Liverpool really unsung! What a goal from Robbie Fowler! Well, if Steve McManaman's was a great goal, then that one's even better. That's all about individual brilliance and confidence in a young man. The way he just left Steve Stoughton for dead. What's this for skill? That is magnificent. And then to pull the trigger from that distance and have that result. I don't know what to say. It is brilliant. A shot of awesome power and accuracy. Are you watching Newcastle United? Are you watching Manchester United? Um, is this the silliest question to ever ask a Liverpool fan? What's your favourite game of the nineties? <laughs> well, you're gonna yeah. You, so you're gonna think it's the four three against yeah. Newcastle. I'm not. I'm not gonna pick that because. The thing I'm a, I'm a match guy now. I'm a season ticket holder now, and um, I absolutely love going and watching live football. And in the nineties, I saw Liverpool in the flesh three times because obviously mm. you know, I was a kid, and my dad wouldn't take me. He did take me to one game in fairness of, of those three. Um, and so yeah, there's obviously I watch loads of games on telly, and that is great. And I watched the four. I've got slightly like, weird story about the four three against Newcastle actually because I missed the first half because I was on my way back from a school trip out to the Somme. Yeah, the, uh, the World War Two battle. Nice. Uh, yeah, so I listened to the first half on the coach home. Uh, kid on the coach had a radio, so I listened to it on the sort of you know, transistor radio. And my dad picked me up from school, uh, rushed me back, and I was able, I was back in time for the second half because it was a, like a Wednesday night game. Yeah, it was a game. Yeah. So, so I didn't. Yeah, I could pick that. Obviously, I missed the first half, and I wasn't there. And I so ultimately, I'm going to go for a game I was at, just because for me there is nothing better than being at live football. And I'm going to go to my first game. And it's that 2-1 win against Blackburn, 13th of December, 1992. Uh, Mark Walters scored both of our goals, either side of an Alan Shearer volley for Blackburn. Uh, It wasn't, you know, it was memorable because it was Kenny's first game, but it didn't mean anything in the context of anything. You know, we were still crap that season. Blackburn didn't, they didn't win the league that year. They obviously won it three years later. But it was just the memories of, you know, going up in my uncle's Nissan Sunny uh, from Birmingham, uh, just being so unbelievably excited. The, The main thing I wanted on that trip was to get a woolly hat from the club shop. I was just obsessed with getting a woolly hat with a bobble on it. Got the hat before the game, stuck it on my head. Um, and then we were in the Anfield Road end, which is the stand opposite the cop. So the, the stand on the, the goal that isn't the cop end. And I've kind of disappointed. I wanted to be in the cop, but um, I'm actually in hindsight delighted we were there because I got to see the old standing cop in its old, you know, in its glory mm. uh, two years before it got demolished. And to see it sort of moving and swaying was, was absolutely thrilling i mean i don't really remember anything about the game to me i remember obviously walters scoring and being delighted we won 
But you guys, have, I'm sure, had the same experience. Just being your first time. Yeah. Of, it was. I think it was my first time at a football stadium as well. I think. I, I think I've got a vague memory of seeing Watford as before that on a birthday, a friend's birthday trip. But I really don't remember anything about that. I must have been about nine or something. But yeah, I was. I was 12 when I went to Anfield. So reasonably strong memories of it. And just yeah, all the all the cliches, you know, seeing floodlights for the first time, seeing the cop, smelling the hot dog, seeing the, the smell. Pitch. Yeah, it's always a smell. I always find and, there's nothing that yeah. smells like a football ground. <laughs> yeah, getting my getting the hats, getting the match program, and just knowing then as well that I wanted to come back here as mm. often as possible. And it took me, as I said, I only went to two more games in the nineties, and it wasn't really until the early noughties that I started going regularly to Liverpool. Two thousand three was kind of a breakthrough year for me as a match goer, but yeah. I should say the 4-3 is obviously Liverpool's greatest game in the 90s. But yeah. for me, that first game at Anfield, 13th of December, 1992, 2-1 against Blackburn is is my f- favourite game in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, I, f- I like that. I think that's fair. I think everyone yeah. has, uh, obviously, Ed, we won't reveal, but you're, you know, I'm sure you have certain memories of your first games as well. Of, of, and I think it's, it's a football fan's rite of passage almost, isn't it? Absolutely. I think I think you're right. A football stadium does have a smell. It's normally uh, onions or uh, stale, stale f- something from the toilets, probably. Yeah. But um, I think if, if you've been to Wembley, the old Wembley, uh, oh, that's probably bless a, it's a case, in, case in point. But um, yeah, I think it's actually, and that's a great. So did Walter score a, a really good goal in that game? Yeah, I think he did. I think it was the as he got two. I think yeah. it was the second one. He kind of yeah. got, took it on his right foot on the on the sort of left hand edge of the the box at the cop end and bent it into the far corner. I think that's right. Yeah, he scored one. I, th- I think one was just like a tapping at the back post after a good cross from the far, from the opposite wing, and then I think the second was the curler. I think actually, to be fair, I think Alan Shearer's goal was the best one. It was yeah. our end. It was the Anfield Road end, and he sort of oh, yeah. him, that goal, took on the yeah. chest, swivelled, yeah. and volleyed it into the far corner. So that was the, that was a really good finish. Um, but yeah, no, he scored. Um, Scored that. Just uh, talking about uh, toilet. I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, so I, I went to I went to Brighton at the weekend. Uh, Brighton Liverpool. Obviously, right. I met yeah. two 0 and I did my first ever poo at a football ground. Well so, done. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. I, just, I, I, I don't know. I hadn't, I weirdly hadn't eaten much before because it was an early kickoff. I had a bit of cereal before I left, and then my bowels just wouldn't wouldn't behave and I had to do were they up to, to standard at the Amex was it, was it okay it was alright yeah toilet was fine a bit dirty. yeah all, all football grounds yeah. toilets were a bit dirty but I couldn't hold it and I had to go so yeah <laughs> first that's an exclusive Ash as well, yeah. I might, as that might be the episode name my first yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can clip that and put that out if you yeah. want yeah. I don't yeah. think I ever have actually now I don't yeah. think it's I not have. something you want to do. You no. never want to have a poo at football ground but I just couldn't couldn't hold it doesn't ring a bell maybe maybe next time I make that my mission Mark Wright. Moran stood his ground well, but Marsh is coming to life again and being an influence after a quiet spell. Walters faced by May. Walters! With one of the goals of the season! How is that for an arrival? How can you defend against that? 78 minutes, at last the breakthrough, Walters one-on-one against May, found himself a yard, and that's the result, a magnificent strike. Um, We're going to talk about kits now, and you can tell by my face if we were watching it on Zoom. Um, I think, and this is probably controversial, I think possibly Liverpool as a collection, as a whole of the decade, have the best kits of wow. the 1990s I think Man United run and close Chelsea had a, a few good ones but as a collective 
Yeah. Like, um, you know, without giving away yours, you know, you, you start from the grey, flecky away kit in the early 90s. You go through the green, which I still think is proper Liverpool in my eyes, the accrues, you know, and then, you know, to the bright yellows. They're, they're just, they're all very different, very iconic. So mm. which one, you're going to choose that big collar thing, aren't you? I am. I'm going to choose the big <laughs> collar thing. It, it is, it's a top that divides society. I, don't, I think in more than Brexit, it divides <laughs> yeah. people. Uh, you either love it or hate it yet. So it's a top from that. We only had it for one season. In the yeah. 90s. Obviously, in the 90s, you guys will know full well. Actually, it's quite normal for teams to keep kits, yeah. change it every two years. Yeah. Uh, and we, I think we did that most season 90s. But this, we only had this for one season in the 90s. So it was a 95-96 season. It's the one easily, you can picture it easily. It's the one Stan yeah. Collymore scores that goal against Newcastle in the famous 4-3. Collymore closing in and all that lot. Big fat white cricket collar, uh, big badge as well, kind of massive broad, badge, massive badge. Yeah, Adidas written in the lettering, not the not yeah. specific, actually written yeah. on the uh, on the other side. Carlsberg, three Adidas stripes, um, and it was a top that took me a while to to to, to grow to love. I mean, I you know I was I'm sure like you guys, I bought every new kit that my club had in the nineties um, when they came out every two years. And but when that came out and I saw it in the summer of ninety five, I was disappointed. I thought that looks that looks ridiculous. And I had no intention of buying it. And then um, I remember going to sort of Harrowtown Centre, which is near where I grew up. And um, it was in the sort of, I can't remember what sports shop was there at the time. And when I saw it up close, I thought, actually, you know what? That's quite, quite like that. And then I bought it and uh, yeah. And I just sort of over time grew to love it. And um, I, I, I maintained it's Liverpool's greatest ever kit, which I, I put, I, I do that. I don't know if I actually believe that. I think my favorite, <laughs> one is the candy white flex one yeah the, yeah, the classic yeah. yeah yeah which is also my all-time favorite Liverpool kit but I just I put that out to wind Liverpool fans up a little bit um it's I unique that- it's definitely it's- like I don't like even because I moan now as you both will know on Twitter like I hate templates it does yeah. my head in but even in the 90s there were examples of templates not m- as much now but there were kits that you'd find and go oh that's especially Adidas he did a lot of the trickler yeah. quite a lot but that template I don't think and somebody on Twitter made say otherwise i don't think i've ever seen on another foot that collar was obviously that collar is a what genuine one-off i've never seen yeah. on actual cricket jumpers <laughs> yeah i i just remember being so shocked when that came out just to look at it and go that's sort of half football top half cricket top i've never <laughs> seen anything like that before yeah that's absolutely unbelievable but i think that's why i love it because it is a complete one-off yeah. you've never seen anything like it um I grew. I just think aesthetically, I just genuinely. I, I know it divides opinion. I've got a sense I actually don't like it, but I, I do think it actually looks great. I think it was worn by one of my all-time favourite Liverpool um, teams. I was fourteen when it came out, and obviously, when you're fourteen, everything's great. The music's great. The girls are great, and the football tops are great. Um, and I just, yeah, you know, we played the four-three against Newcastle in it, so it's iconic. I just, yeah, I just, I sort of love it. But you're right, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. We did. We have had a low in the '90s. We had loads of sort of really great top. I mean the one we won the one we wore uh in so nine from 93 to 95 which had the three white stripes yeah. at the bottom that sort of came up um I never really loved that but actually I've grown to love that I had the away show which was white with the green, green stripes yeah I, thought, yeah, I just I thought love that. that green like I think my, yeah. one of my favorites is the all green at first it was candy then it was Carlsberg when it was placed but the all green with the two stripes to come down there I just that green yeah. is so again I think this might be a timing where I was that was my first proper, you know, that first Premier League season when, yeah. I, you know, everything was just all like, oh, football, 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 football. And that kit came out yeah, at the time. Yeah. The halves were lovely. The accrue, man. Like the, yeah. the accrue shirt is just, 
Isn't there like well, a film coming out? Of, like well, I saw on Twitter. Yeah, well, Red, Red Men TV, which is a Liverpool sort of yeah, social media. We've had channel. Paul. Yeah, Paul's been on the show. Yeah, yeah they've. Done, I think they're, they're doing a documentary, the story of yeah, however you Ekra crew, however you pronounce it, which yeah. is mad. But it's become a real style icon among young Liverpool fans. You see, I see young fans in the sort of pub before games at Anfield or at the match, and they're sort of wearing it. And it's become sort of mm. among fans who weren't old enough to remember us in the nineties. It's become the top they look back on and go. God, how cool was that? And, but at the time, I mean, I liked it at the time. I didn't think that much of it. But yeah, looking back now, you think, God, that was a great show. Yeah. It really and then was. like Cholton and West Ham tried to copy the colour, didn't they? In, in the following yeah. seasons. Yeah, I remember yeah, right. yeah. Um, yeah. To finish off, I also love the gold one. Was that a third kit? I think. Yes, that's right. That was, I think it was, what was it in a way? Might, yeah, or it might be, yeah, it might be the third top. Actually, they didn't yeah. wear it, didn't wear it very much. No. Like, but that's no. another, I yeah, think that's a reason. There was, I think... a, there was a, there was, I know the one you're talking about, Ash, when you talk about the green with the two stripes coming down yeah. the side, but there was another one that, that they had, which was sort of white and green in the sort of, and black as well. A bit, no, yeah, sort yeah. of 94, 95 sort yeah. of time. And that what? was, that was a very nice kit as well. The away shirt so. for the one for the ninety five ninety six one, the one I'm talking, the one I love was the white and green squares one. Yeah, which I, oh, right. so, which I never. Final, yeah, some yeah. people love that. I I'm not a fan of that person. I don't know. I didn't quite like it, but yeah, some some Liverpool fans absolutely adore it and look back well, at it as their favourite kit. While we're talking fashion, and before we get to your eleven, we're talking Liverpool in the nineties. It'd be remiss of us to not mention the ninety six cup final as well. Yeah, what, I mean, I don't remember at the time. I don't think I cared because I don't think I, it made a great deal to me. It's probably later in life I'd be like, oh my God, they're wearing white suits. Yeah, I'm so with you on this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think this is one of these things which is kind of, you know, the stories told by the winners type thing. Yeah, I remember that 96 Cup final so well, obviously, you know, us playing United in the Cup final, was 15, all that stuff. And I'm telling you, there was no fuss about the white suits yeah. during the cut, sort of pre-match build-up to that game. Everyone was like, yeah, as you said, like, you know, they came off the coach, they're walking around Wembley before the game and Des Lyon and whoever's presenting it was like, oh, they've got white suits on. But nobody's going, what are they wearing? Oh my God, it looks absolutely atrocious. It's only because we played crap in that game and lost yeah. that people go, oh, it just sums up the arrogance. Do you remember when they wore white suits? Oh my God, what are the Spice Boys? What are they like? If we'd won that game, I don't think the white suits would ever have come up. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't, it looked a little bit daft, but I, this kind of this kind of thing that it sort of, I mean, look, we can talk about the Spice Boys and all the issues with those players if you like, but I don't think that was a kind of symbol of their arrogance or laziness or whatever. It was just, David James had a, had a contract with Armani. They provided some suits. It's a little bit different. It was a bit mm. wacky. Probably they shouldn't have worn it, but if they'd won, nobody would have spoken about it. Yeah, if, you'd I think won, it's become, if you'd have won, if you'd have won three 0 no one would have. Yeah, cared. it's become something. It's become a myth, not a myth necessarily, but it's become yeah. something, a story to tell on the back of us losing. It, it's so, not a story that wouldn't have been told had we won that game yeah. at all. It, I think it so would never much be on the cover of a nineties inspired book if they if you'd yeah. won three 0 would it? I'm not. Yeah, well, I'm so, just, <laughs> yeah, I mean Simon Hughes. I think you might refer to that. Obviously, Simon Hughes, who I know a little bit, a great journeys. He wrote a trilogy of Liverpool books, a book from about us in the eighties, nineties, and the uh, noughties where he did interviews with players from each decade. And the nineties one is called Men in White Suits, mm. which shows you how kind of it's become a thing. Latin yeah, more than it was at the time. Yeah, 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 but I, I do think too much is made of it. Yeah. Parson, Parson Groove, the Liverpool, you know, Parson move is a Liverpool groove. That was that's what people should remember from that ninety six Cup absolutely. final. That, that was an yeah. absolute uh, tune. Absolute tune. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's do your 11, Sash. So okay. me, me and uh, Ed have also done an 11. So we thought we'd be interested to see. We were having a debate, actually, before we come online. Like, do we pick what we think Sash would pick? Do we think what we think is the best? Or do we pick what we think, like, what favourite 11 did we like watching? So I don't know what 
in the end Ed, you went for but mine is a kind of a mix of it all but that's my, yeah, Sashi's... Mine's, mine's a mix of it all i think i think we should explain to sash at this point as well that we do no prep for these shows whatsoever we yeah, pretend really. that we do but we we spend we spend more time talking about the um talking about the apprentice really than anything else but um so uh but you crack on sash what's your what's well, your then, team the, of the go on, what formation okay. first of all sir i've just yeah, gone for i've got yeah i've got you've got to go four four two for yeah, team in the 90s yeah, you've yeah, got to yeah, go yeah. four four yeah, i mean i'd go four three three generally but it's the 90s you've got to go four four two right so in this team there are three slight cheat picks because okay, they're players who enough. did play they they made their debuts for Liverpool in the 90s but really they're more associated with the noughties but they okay. did take but I've got very little to choose from the 90s as I said earlier we didn't have many it's hard actually when yeah. I was looking trying to pick it it is harder than I thought it was going it to is, be it is it is tough so my goalkeeper is David James which is really scraping the barrel because yeah. we, we basically had no good goalkeepers in the 90s I mean James James was weird. I mean, when he signed, there was so much fuss about him when he came from Watford in like 92. I think he was going to be the next great goalkeeper in English football. And he was kind of good. I mean, he had a great career. He played for yeah. loads of years, loads of caps for England, but he was a bit flawed. And he was he had a couple of years for us where he was genuinely really, really good. But sort of either side that, his early years and then his sort of latter years in the late, sort of mid, late 90s, he was... He wasn't good, and there was the infamous game Paris Saint Germain away in the in the cup in this cup semi final where we lost three 0 and he was basically at fault for I think two of them, and he admitted afterwards it's because he'd been playing PlayStation or something. Oh, yeah, that one, yeah. That Did he say that with the Denmark England game as well? Did he yeah, use I think that, that one out? Yeah. yeah, it was Game Boy or that's, something. That's, so, that's, that's that's the thing with David James, isn't it? It's like we do this on the football tavern sometimes, and it's like players that have had careers, but they're remembered for certain yeah, things. Yeah. So if you if you if you say David James's name. The first thing that comes to mind is PlayStation. Yeah. yeah. Or Cup Final right. seats, funny enough. Cup Final yeah. oh, And, <laughs> yeah. you know, feel, feel, feel bad. First thing yeah. that comes to mind. Nuts. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was like basically we only had one goalkeeper in the 90s, it was him. Brad Friedel played a bit, but not really. Oh. And so, James is, yeah. James is really the only choice. And he was all, I mean, Grobelar as well at the start, but yeah. he's, you know, whatever he had. Is it Mike Cooper? No, no, no shout for Mike Cooper. No, no, I'm not <laughs> so, so, Dave James gets it. I said he was all right for a few years. Yeah. Um, my right back, easy choice, Rob Jones. I mentioned yeah. earlier, absolutely love Rob Jones. He was absolutely fantastic, brilliant player, incredibly consistent. And I was at his England debut. England, France, France, yeah, yeah, he was great. I, you might sound biased. I think he's better than Gary Neville. If he stayed fit, he would mm-hmm. have played a lot more for England. I think he was great. Really, really good. Just, just on that, just on that, Sasha. It's a question yeah. I've sort of been meaning to ask a Liverpool fan. Is that obviously I've heard that a lot. So Rob Jones would have, um, you know, had many more caps than Gary Neville. Gary Neville wouldn't have got a look in. Is is often what you hear. Is that is that actually the case? Because obviously Gary Neville was a very decent right back yeah. in his own right. Would there would have been a very would have been a, a rivalry, or was Jones that much? No, no, I'm I'm probably being a bit facetious. I think it would have been a rivalry. I mean, Gary Neville was was good. You know, he, yeah. he played yeah. for Man United for years. He was obviously a good player. I just yeah. I just think Jones was. I mean, infamously never scored for Liverpool, but mm. so maybe weird me saying this, but I think going forward he was better. Yeah, he was he was really good. I mean, he had sort of one of the most iconic Liverpool debuts of all time. He, he was Old Trafford, Man United uh, away at Old Trafford. Mm. We drew nil nil and he basically marked Ryan Giggs out of the game yeah as his debut having come from crew who were like a third division team at team he was just really really solid but then again Neville was solid as well yeah. um so they would have sort of competed I think I think they would have competed I think they would cancel each other out a little bit they would have sort of taken caps of each other yeah. I don't think one would have sort of surpassed the other, the other yeah and maybe That's... Neville would have got the nod overall because he was coming from a team at the time that was winning so he would have had that sort of you know, kudos, I think, but I just think Rob Jones was excellent. And, yeah. 
yeah, I, I told I told him I loved him at an Oasis gig at Earl's Court in <laughs> September '97. <laughs> saw him going up the stairs to sort of the VIP seats. I just thought, Rob, I love you, and uh, he looked back and sort of smiled. Um, yeah, I genuinely I did. I think he was great. So yeah, he's my right back. I'll, shall I go to my left back next? Yeah, who, um, again, we we had we for years really up until Andy Robertson signed. We we had no good left backs. Uh, so again, hard to pick, and I've just gone with Stigging and Bjorn a bit. Yeah. And the only reason, well, two reasons for that actually. He, I didn't realise how lo- he played a lot longer than I thought. And he was there basically the entire ninety. I mean, not the entire. I think he came in ninety two and he left in ninety nine. I thought he was there for like three years, but he was there for most of nineties. But crucially, with Bjorn a bit, he assisted about a dozen iconic Liverpool goals oh, in the nineties. Really? Yeah, he, he assisted. Um, Neil Ruddock's header in a three-all against Man United Classic at, game, uh, Anfield yeah. 94. Yeah, the one where he sort of banged his head mm. against Steve Bruce. Uh, he assisted Robbie Fowler's goal in the 4-3, the second 4-3 against Newcastle. Mm. Michael Owen's um, debut goal against Wimbledon. Jamie Carragher's debut goal at Anfield in 97. And we mentioned it, the, the Brand Bergen goal, the Robbie Fowler. Oh, was that a Bjornaby pass? Uh, yeah, well, it was a header. But yeah. yeah, a little sort of flick header from a throw-in or something. So... Yeah, just really because he assisted loads. He was of in the goals. team of the season as well for like I think 90, 96, 97. Yeah. He was in the team, which you don't. If you were, if we were playing one of those um, sport or games, whatever they're yeah. called, you have to fill them in. I yeah, never really yeah. think to put no. it, and that's nothing against him. I thought he was consistent, but I never thought, oh, he's the best left back in the league. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not yeah, sure he, that ninety six, ninety seven. I, I mentioned because the Brad, you guys mentioned earlier. I think the anniversary of the Brand Bergen goal was recent, and maybe you, your channel, you know, uh, probably was Sid. A, it probably was probably Sid. Sid yeah, Lambert, it was yeah. probably <laughs> Sid. Yeah, Sid put out a tweet with the goal. And I commented on the quote, tweeted it saying, "Oh, another sort of another another goal that Stig Bjornaby assisted." And then some, we got into a conversation with a few Liverpool fans on the back of that, and they were saying, "96, 97, he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he assisted yeah. loads of goals that year." So, yeah, so he's my left back, my centre backs. This is where I'm cheating slightly. We had a load of crap centre backs in the nineties. Hardest position, definitely. No, I've cheated slightly, and I've, I'll I'll say him as a duo: Sammy Hoopy and Stefan Onshow. Yeah. Now they so in ninety nine. Really, yeah, yeah, they both came in ninety nine. Yeah, so right at the end of the decade, and really they're notable for what they did in the noughties. You know the treble season and hippier with with istanbul so their impact in the 90s was minimal basically they played six months in the 90s but <laughs> we're allowed uh, we, had, we had crap center backs i'm picking them and i love sam up he's all one of my all-time yeah. favorite local players so i'm having them um going to midfield if you want so left wing uh, this is difficult again i've gone with john barnes uh it's that in a way it's an obvious one but in a way it's not because really in the 90s he didn't really play left wing mm. he um he was um he got a bad injury at the start of the 90s I think led to missing Euro 92. You'll probably know that better than me. Yeah. Ash. yeah. And he's um, sitting That's why. That's yeah, why he was called out. Exactly. And then when he came back, he played there a little bit, but he wasn't, he, he, did, he sort of lost his pace. He, he didn't have that sort of injection of speed. And then Roy Evans converted him into a, into a holding midfielder in that three, five, two team of the 95, 96 season. And he was brilliant in that position. He was actually amazing. And then sort of left us and joined Charlton in mm. 96, I think, or maybe 98, actually. Um, so he didn't really play left wing, but he's John Barnes. So yeah, I'm, he, I'm he's allowed. Yeah, He's allowed in. Um, if I go to the other wing, then I've mentioned him already. Steve McManaman, just brilliant. Yeah. yeah, so he's my right winger. We mentioned him. The two in midfield then. So Jamie Redknapp, not, again, not amazing for us, but good. Uh, yeah. You know, really good passer of the ball. And again like Rob Jones massively blighted with injuries but he was a good player he wasn't sensational even if he'd stayed fit I don't think he'd go down as one of Liverpool's great midfielders but he was you know very good passer of the ball you know uh, sort of classic sort of Liverpool player and all that and then next to him cheating again a little bit I'm going with Steven Gerrard 
made his debut in 1998. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure I'm allowing that one. <laughs> oh, I know, I'm cheating a bit. He did make his debut in 98, he, he so did, he's a yeah. 90s player. He came and as then, a sub for, Vic, uh, for Hegem, I remember that. Vegard Hegem, yeah. And, he was 12 at the time. He did score his first goal for Liverpool in the 90s as well against <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, right, he did we'll, play we'll, like take two... we'll take it. We'll take yeah. it. <laughs> I don't need to talk about Gerrard. Everyone knows his team, Gerrard. Everyone knows yeah. his impact. Yeah, but that is my third cheat one along with Honsha and <laughs> Uh, again, we, I don't know who else to pick. I mean, Paul Ince, really? Leonardson? I mean, don't make me pick them, please. Uh, so I've gone with Steven Gerrard. And then my two up top, it's pretty obvious. Yes, yeah, Robbie Fowler, who obviously I've spent loads of time talking about, and Michael Owen. you just got to yeah. go with Michael Owen. I'd love to have Colin Moore in there, but I think you just can't leave can't leave Michael Owen out. Again, you know, we don't need to talk about Michael Owen. Everyone knows what he did for I him. I could. I could talk about him all day, but yeah, yeah. we don't need but to. But I should say, actually, having a go about Gerard, Owen made his Liverpool debut in 97. Yeah. So he played three years it's the 90s. impact, isn't it? It's the impact yeah. Owen made. And to be fair, Owen's peak years were pretty much 98 to 01. Yeah, weren't that's they? fair. They were pretty that's much, fair. that was yeah. the Michael Owen. Um, it's going to be funny now looking at these two teams that we've picked because there's <laughs> big cheaters going on in, in the Anfield locker room <laughs> there. Um, Ed, who, who was, I'm guessing the defence was pretty... The, um, the fullbacks. I'm getting. Do you know what? I got I got the fullbacks right, funnily yeah. enough. But the centre backs was just I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so um, I went. I picked Mark Wright. Of right now, I picked him because I thought Sachin of the age you are. 92 cup final he was the yeah. captain so i thought maybe yeah. might be a bit of he, sentiment he, there yeah he was all right for us i mean he he, he was yeah captain when we won the 92 cup final he then he had a weird yeah. career because he was kind of good at the start then i think when when Sunes left in 94 he was then kind of ostracized by roy evans a bit and he was kind of crap for a, and so that the team and not crap but just out the team i think they fell out or something yeah. and then he came back in around 95 and he was really good again so he's not a, he's not a bad shout at all actually yeah. but he and just because he was a bit weird at the time the club the other centre back I went for was uh, the much uh, mentioned uh, Neil Ruddock because I just really? thought, yeah, I just, well, I, think... I just thought, you know, I just, it was like, is it going to be Phil Bad? Is it going to yeah. be John Scales? John Scales is it gonna... yeah. I was like, it's like, it's like a donkey sanctuary. Yeah, Torben Picknick. Yeah, I know John. I know John Scales pretty well because I did some work with him for a few years. So I went, right. I picked John Scales, but that's only because I know him and I like him as yeah. a person, yeah. rather, <laughs> rather than that he was actually any good for Liverpool. Yeah. Just, just on Neil Ruddock, he's part of uh, a classic Liverpool nineties, or I say classic, one a, a great Liverpool nineties anecdote and one of my favourite football anecdotes of all time. I'll just tell it really quickly. So, and again, maybe sums up sort of what we were like in the nineties. So. Him and uh, he had um, him and Jason McAteer had gone out in the piss, I think, one night, and he'd end up staying at McAteer's house. He'd sort of because he'd driven to McAteer's house in his kind of BMW, and then obviously because he was drunk, he got a taxi back to McAteer's house. He woke up in the morning, wanted to go back home, and realised he'd lost. He got to his car, got back to his Mercedes or BMW, whatever, and realised he couldn't find his car keys. And McAteer was sort of out on the on the road with him, and he said, "Oh, Jason, I've lost my car keys. Can you go get a coat hanger so I can get into the car?" Jason McAteer came back with a wooden coat hanger, which is obviously this big thing with the. It's like no, I need a like the wire one because I need yeah. to open the lock, which yeah, yeah. sums up Liverpool in the nineties. We were oh. slightly comical. Head and shoulders, Jason McAteer. Yeah. Um, so who did you have in midfield, Ed? Because I've got, I'll do mine. I had McManaman and I had Redknapp and Barnes in the middle. Yeah, so I thought I'd leave Barnes, and then I had Patrick Berger on the left. Same, so, yeah, same. Shout. That is on. Oh, that's that's a great shout, actually. Same. Yeah, if I'm not going to cheat, I'm going to. Yeah, 
you know what? I think, yeah. No, that's a great shot. I totally forgot about Patrick Berg, which is awful. He was actually really good for us. And that does mean a more 90s midfield than my one. So, no, fair play. And Barnes in midfield is more 90s, actually, as well. So. Yeah, because the Barnes, I always remember John Barnes coming back from injury. I think it was a Monday night football at Roftus Road. And, he had, he'd, and he'd been away for a while. And he kept, that was his comeback game. And he was bloody brilliant. We were all just like, oh, he'll be rusty. He's getting on a bit. Yeah. I, don't, I think we won the game, actually. I know he set up a goal. He definitely set up a goal. We, we were always on TV against Liverpool on a Monday night for those first few seasons. So I'm getting my games are kind of mixed up. But there was definitely a game. Barnes came back and in midfield, he just pulled the strings yeah. and stuff. Um, but yeah, so I put him in centre mid. No, but... that's a great one. No, fair play. I, 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 yeah, I, I think I just, I wanted to get Gerard in because <laughs> it, was, it was my cheat, my cheat tactic. But actually, if I thought about it more, they'd gone, actually, you put Berger in and then put Barnes centre midfield because yeah. that's a far more representative. But I think it's a lot the harder than you think. Because, like, yeah. you know, there are a lot of rubbish names that yeah. that you mentioned, like Leonardo. And I, I really liked Nigel Clough, but he obviously never really, outside of Forest, ever really did yeah. what he did at the city ground. So yeah. okay, he was all, again, okay for us and scored, t- scored twice in that three all with United yeah. in 94. Which but, is probably yeah, his And two on his debut as, as, yeah. as well, but didn't do much else apart from that. Brilliant. Well, Sash, it's been... It's been great looking back at Liverpool. Is there anything we haven't mentioned about Liverpool in the 90s that you like wanted to say or mention or uh, we haven't touched on very quickly before we end this? Uh, well, just really quickly, I'm presuming I'll be in a fowler of your front twos as oh, well. Oh, God, yeah, 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 yeah. Without a doubt, yeah. yeah. Well, all I'll say about the 90s, yeah, I mean, as I said, I had loads of fun following us, in the, certainly in the mid-90s in particular. I'm glad I was the age I was because I think people who are older than me um, found the 90s tough. Liverpool fans are sort of 10 years older because they'd seen us in the 1780s. But in a way, I knew no better. Yeah. So I just had, you know, I just had fun watching us play, even though we weren't very good. Just the, the last thing I'll say about us, again, talking about great stories, was do you know the story about Jean-Michel Ferry? Oh, so, again, sure a great story. So Gerard Houllier, obviously he came, he was joint manager with Evans. Again, there's another sort of mad thing we did in the 90s, yeah. which didn't work. The joint manager thing lasted a few months. And then his and then Evans left in November 98 and then Julio became sole manager. And he was amazing for us, but that's a, that's a podcast for another time. Um, his first signing Liverpool manager was a French midfielder called Jean-Michel Ferry. I remember the name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he signed him in November 1998 for £1.5 million from Istanbul Spore, which is a Turkish team. <laughs> but he was a French midfielder. He played, for, he played made over 300 appearances for Nantes. Uh, he was captain when they won uh, the League 1 title in 94 95. I think that actually might be the second division title, but it might be League 1 itself. I don't know. Anyway, he was a decent midfielder. He, uh, he played six times for France as well. So he was a good midfielder. He was actually a genuinely decent player, but he only made two substitute appearances. Total of 50 minutes he played uh, for Liverpool before then being sold to Sochu the following summer. And the story about Jean Michel Ferry was that he was a spy. Basically, Julien never intended him to play much for us. The reason he signed him was he basically wanted him to go into the dressing room in that late night ah. period where people were really falling away and, and being quite crap. And, you know, everything was kind of re- well and truly falling apart to go in and find out who were the troublemakers, yeah. who were the difficult players, who were the people who didn't really give a shit anymore and report back. And that's apparently what he did. And the, that summer then, the summer of 1999, which was Julio's first summer as sole manager, Paul Ince left, David James left, Leonardson left. He had a massive clear out, Bjorn Kavame left. And apparently a lot of that was down to uh, Michel, Michel Ferry wow. telling him who were the troublemakers in the dressing room. So nice. Michel Ferry has a very, although he only played 50 minutes for Liverpool across two substitute appearances, he has a very important part. Yeah, infamous. If he, yeah. 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 And of course, his arrival. Grass, yeah, he's a grass. Yeah. And his, his arrival, of course, led to loads of Ferry across the Mersey headline. <laughs> of course. Um, what, better, cool. what better way to end? <laughs> Sash, if people want to talk more Liverpool with you on social, where can people find you? 
Uh, just on Twitter. Don't do Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so just on Twitter, which is at Sachin Nakrani. Uh, so yeah, I'm there. I, I I don't tweet a lot. I don't tweet opinions too much because I can't be able to get in arguments. But I do love uh, being nostalgic about the nineties. Yeah, basically nineties yeah. references. Nineties references. Pictures of you Anfield. That's basically what it yeah. is. <laughs> pictures of me Anfield and yeah, nineties references. And I, yeah, happy to talk Oasis as well. That's yeah, exactly. Uh, Ed, if I'm sure you got a lot of Liverpool fans in the tavern who probably want to join in the conversation. Where can they on Twitter? Uh, yep, so you can find us at Tavern Football. Uh, so, and I just had a quick question before, Seth, before we before we do go, just a quick one. Are you, if you were to say, are you a Robbie Fowler man or a Michael Owen? Oh, man? we know what he's going to say. Hundred well, percent Fowler. Yeah, I know. Because I'm a Fowler man, and I know Ash isn't. So I just. But I'm not a Liverpool fan. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I reckon. I reckon if you'd asked eighty-five Liverpool fans, eighty-four yeah. of them would say Fowler. Yeah, Michael Owen has got a difficult relationship with yeah. Liverpool fans. Which all um, right, so take is, is... take that out of it. <laughs> well, from a purely sort of playing point yeah. of view, no, still yeah. still foul. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Michael Owen was unbelievably good, but I just think you know he he scored sort of. I mean, he scored a range of goals as well, but he was kind of he was a speed merchant and a little bit. It's horrible to say it's a little bit one-dimensional, but I just love Fowler's variety of goals. And I just loved his attitude. He it was, was more just... variety. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Owen, Owen could score. I mean, he was actually all right in the air for someone who was of his size, yeah. Michael Owen. Um, and there were goals that weren't, as you say, speedy. And he could be quite predatory. But I think Owen and um, Fowler, would, as we said earlier, had a bit more range. And I say that yeah. for grit, gritted teeth because I do bloody love Michael Owen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, you can follow the show at AK90s on Twitter, at AK90s pod on Instagram. Although I'm not posting because the account is locked. So actually, don't bother following Instagram because I forgot the password and I can't go back to it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Follow us on Twitter instead, at AK90s. And until next time, I've been Ash Rose. This is a lively kick in. Keep it 90s. I love it.